That should be. Okay. Yeah. I always knew Pastor Morgan was techie, and he won't yeah. admit it, but anyway. <laughs> so, um, anyway, death and dying. I was a hospice medical director um, before I moved to Gillette for over 10 years, and then here for a couple of years after I retired from oncology. And so it, uh, God put me right in the middle of death and dying. And um, to begin with, God is definitely in control of the time we die. You know, we run around and do this and that. If only they'd done this, if only they'd done that, let's do this, make you live longer stuff. God has it all figured out. And I think last time when I gave a talk on my experience in um, medicine, I don't, and I know some of you were here, I may have talked about the case when I was a, a uh, senior medical resident in uh, internal medicine we had in, in the hospital and this 70-year-old uh, gentleman coded. And um, anyway, I, I was running the code, you know, the intern does this, medical student does that. And all. So we did it for 30 minutes and he was flatlined the whole time. Um, he was dead. Never came around, so at 30 minutes I said, that's it, time of death recorded. The nurses were getting him ready because usually the mortuary comes and picks him up or the coroner, well, it's not a coroner because we knew where he died from, so the mortuary usually comes pretty quickly and after about 10 minutes he woke up. He said, what happened? That was God talking to me and all of us there that no, I decide when. You don't decide. So he got better action and left the hospital. <laughs> so um, that's just to let you know all we do in medicine and everything, we think we determine a time of death, we don't. So um, anyway, I looked at death from four different views. God's view, the physician's view, the family or the power of attorney's view, and usually the last one on there is the patient's view. And in those order, that, that order is usually what happens. So um, anyway, God's view, and I have a few statements and scriptures here. The first one's not scripture, but it's a statement. Though mankind's sin brought death, separation from God into the world, this was never God's intent. He created us for life, life with him. And then this uh, is Matthew, uh, from Matthew, the, 20, uh, the 25th chapter, 45th verse. He will separate the sheep from the goats. Those declared righteous through his blood will receive eternal life, whereas those who rejected him will go away to eternal punishment. And then another statement, in Christ he offers us a certain glorious and joy-filled destination, a future free of pain, sorrow, and sickness. This invitation is open to all who trust not in themselves or their good works, but instead in Jesus and the price he paid. And then uh, one more scripture. It comes from uh, 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, ninth verse. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. So, that's heaven. So, uh, that's God's view. So, the physician's view is very important because he's taking care of the patient, whether he's going to give him hope or not. But the most important thing for the physician, does he believe in God, the sovereignty of God? Or does he believe in the sovereignty of men and science? And most, that's where most physicians, I think, are. They believe in the sovereignty of men and science. And that makes it very difficult because they can't conceive how death is at all good. Where we know that it's really releasing somebody to heaven. So anyway, then we come to the family and the power of attorney's view. And it may be, I'm losing this person that's part of my life. So it kind of, you know, 
it kind of breaks up the life I was living. They're part of it. How can they die? You know, like they're almost upset about it. And you, you know people are angry sometimes when they love a loved one. Or sometimes it's, I'll decide when they die, when we stop stuff. You know, it may be the oldest child or the one that spends most time with the patient. I'm going to decide. You hear that? So there's, there can be fights over that. And then, um, you know, God forbid, this happens sometimes. Well, um, who gets all the assets? You know, was the will right? I mean, what do I get? So there's all those things going on sometimes with family and, um, you know, the power of attorney. Those are the, you know, the cantankerous bad things. But So some family members, you know, that are real believers say, it's time, you know, it's, it's, it could be beautiful. Uh, and then the patient's view. And um, do they believe in God's, uh, what he says, in eternal life? Um, you know, is what he says true? It's something I've, this is the patient, it's something I've never wanted to think about and I try to avoid. You know, but, um, or can I even get there? And maybe, um, well, I'll just leave it up to the family and let them decide. So these are different views of a patient. So there's a lot of things going on when somebody is, is near death. Um, and then there's the dying process itself. Um, historically, people died at home around their loved ones, you know, where they've lived a lot of their life, you know, and they've had their, you know, aunts, uncles, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and everybody, everybody in that, even though they were grieving, understands this is a natural part of life. This is, you know, ever since the apple, but they know this is a natural part of life. So then medicine institutionalized dying it got to the point where we had more and more hospitals, and so, yeah, let's put them in the corner in some room in a hospital and take them away from the whole family so none of them really understand or experience what dying's like. You know, the kids don't know what it's like. Nobody knows what it's like. And that happened. And then hospice, the hospice movement started materializing where they would treat pe people at home again which was a great thing. Um, and when I was hospice medical director, it was great when we keep people at home and they really didn't need to be in the hospital and they could get, they could get spiritual care, they could get social service care, they can get a physician nursing care, they can get um, aged to help them in their activity of daily living, all that at home, equipment, everything can be brought to the house. They don't have to go into a hospital and that was um, an important event, I think, for, for medicine, and it was a worldwide thing. But since then, and I don't know so much in Gillette it's, uh, or in smaller towns, but they developed a whole new um, specialty in medicine called palliative care. Now this is something, now palliative care started out, yeah, we, we know which medicines to give them to take care of pain or to take care of anxiety, we do this and that. Well, that used to be the job of the medical oncologist. That's what I always did, uh, taking care of the patient. Uh, or if it's a, if it's a um, cardiologist and they're dying of heart failure, he knows what things to give them to make them feel better. So, you know, depending on the subspecialty, they took care of their own patients. But then, once again, palliative care became a subspecialty. And the problem with that is it wasn't just taking care of those immediate symptoms, but hey, you know, that bone's hurting a little bit. Let's give you some radiation. And this is when they're on hospice. Let's give you some radiation. Or let's, maybe that symptom will be better if we give you some chemotherapy when they're dying. So they started using, coming all the way around and using aggressive therapy for people that were dying and they, they're saying, oh, this will improve your quality of life. It's, it's not about quality of life. And unfortunately, it's about quantity, especially when 
people don't believe in the truth. You, you see that. So it's, um, and of course, palliative care is a multi-billion dollar business. You know, if they can put aggressive therapy back into this, or, hey, wait a minute, we got a clinical trial, even though you're dying. So, um, but there's, you know, talk, going back to the patient's view, during my time in oncology, I had a small number of patients that um, were ready. And the, the youngest one was a four-year-old. And their complete belief in heaven, in Jesus, and everything, they weren't afraid at all. They were celebrating that. Even the four-year-old, <laughs> even though all the adults are, you know, crying and tears, I'll be okay. <laughs> you know, I'll see you in heaven. And that kind of, you know, coming out of a four-year-old's mouth. And then there was a 32-year-old that um, the, the pastor knows, and he, I took care of him here, and he had a terminal disease, and he was just celebrating he had his kids, his wife, his other relatives in the hospice room. Well, we had a hospice room before we had an inpatient hospice, but he had them all there um, because they didn't have another place they could really meet. So he was there, and everybody was staying there, and they had cots, and he said, it's wonderful, you know. Um, and so those patients, uh, you know, they were so ready and so great to see that as a Christian. And I know that um, Pastor Morgan said there was um, this guy that did a study, a pastor did a study of people dying. And there's a difference between believers and non-believers. And believers didn't seem to suffer nearly as much or not at all compared to non-believers. And that was my experience, too. These, these, these uh, rare people I talked about, they didn't suffer you know, because they weren't, you know, God was with them. But uh, anyway, which is very interesting. So anyway, that's going through the last thing we touched on with palliative care. Then we have, uh, so uh, when they're at heaven's door and it's done, afterwards, you know, you'll see in the paper sometimes, or you'll hear little murmurs, oh, they went to a better place. Well, why did anybody want to snatch them away from heaven in the first place if it's a better place? God's telling us in the Bible it is a better place. So anyway, it's, um, it's, it's quite a complicated, conflicting part of life, and more important than being born because there's more people involved and very emotional, and um, yes. So another thing I wanted to touch on, and I actually didn't, didn't have the, I know that we had mentioned euthanasia, but I hadn't really, um, I wasn't gonna talk as much about that, but we should. Because euthanasia certainly is against what God intended. And it's, it's become more and more common with the liberal world. Um, I think the first place where they had the, the pill that would take someone's life, euthanasia, was the first state was, Port, was uh, Oregon. And now, I think we mentioned another time that in, now in Canada, you know, actually, uh, euthanasia is legal, and, and I guess, I don't know if that's gone into law, but even for teenagers, if they feel real depressed and they don't want to live on, they can, they can select euthanasia. Whew. Wow. I mean, the, so this, is, this euthanasia is a liberal government-driven initiative. That's definitely seeing the, you know, the ones that are running the government, if they're liberal, these, these things can happen. So it's really, um, hmm. I'm sure God says it's an abomination. I'd like to touch on another subject, and, and any, you can interrupt me anytime. <laughs> anytime. Another thing I wanted to touch on was Christian burial. 
And everybody, uh, I know that at some point, everybody's gonna have to see what they wanna do in terms of after someone dies. And uh, when I say Christian burial, because that's actually in the Bible, it was Christian burial. Um, and there's only one religion that requires, so let me talk about cremation. So there's only one religion that requires cremation, Hinduism, as part, of the, uh, as part of the death. After the death, they have to be cremated within 24 hours or something like that as part of their religion. Of course, historically, it was the Norsemen, you know, that were completely pagan, right? And they, they would put the, someone that had died on a boat and put them out in the water, let the fire go, and they, they thought the smoke carried them to the afterlife. That's what they believed, whatever the afterlife was. So cremation, I, I read one thing, I couldn't find it again a while ago, that I, I thought there in Italy, um, this one guy started be making it popular in, in the 1100s, but I couldn't find that again. So if you go back to more modern cremation, it, it really started um, gaining momentum in the uh, 1870s in England. And... Um, they, they started a society there, and, um, and physicians were in on it. Even clergy were in on it. They wanted to change everything. So they started cremation there, and then cremation came to the United States about the same time. And they, um, they developed a lot of crematoriums over time. In 1900, there were 20 crematoriums in the whole United States, and so forth and so on. But by, I think it was somewhere 2014, 15, somewhere in there, 45% uh, of um, people that had died underwent cremation. And they think probably by 2030, 70% of people will undergo creation. Yet cremation isn't really in the Bible, except with Saul and his servant, um, what the pastor mentioned to me, when, when, they were, when they killed themselves, and you know they were buried by the, I think by the Philistines or, The Philistines took Saul's body and Jonathan and his other, you know, his sons, and they cut their heads off, and then they attached their bodies to the wall of one of the Philistine main cities. And so the men of Jabesh Gilead, a Jewish, you know, town, they went and I don't know if they attacked the city or what they did, but they took their bodies off the wall, brought them back to... Israel buried them and then very shortly after that they exhumed them burned the bo the bones and I don't know what they did I guess buried the ashes under an oak somewhere <laughs> so it was a bizarre kind of a unusual thing for Jews because they they buried within 24 hours mm -hmm. okay well, anyway, that's yeah. That was a neat, but it wasn't. It wasn't uh, in general. It wasn't biblical, except for that isolated incident, probably of burning anybody after they died. So one of the th one of the things that's appealing to people about cremation is um, it's not as involved and in, it's cheaper, and it's it's. Um, and it's kind of, anyway, it's, there's not as much involved. They don't have to get involved in it. It's a, a quick-paced society. Let's just burn them. We're done with it kind of thing. And I guess you could, are, have you done any uh, burials with cremation, with the ashes? <clears throat> or no? I've never been involved in, well, I've been involved in a fair number where instead of the casket, you have an urn. But as far as, um, and I've said, I've had some where the urn was buried, you oh. know, in the ground. Okay. Um, not, I, I've never been involved in a service where, you know, like ashes were scattered or something like that. That was usually 
often done later or you know by just the family <clears throat> but i've done any i can't remember when the first um you know cremation service i've had or or someone being cremated early you know early in my ministry um i hardly anybody did it it's just been a growing through the decades <clears throat> Well, um, so cremation, you can actually have a, a legal burial by a funeral home that's not expensive besides cremation. If you look at federal laws, there's, um, number one, they have to accept your coffin. You can bring a coffin in to a mortuary and have them use that. They have to. They can't use their own. They don't have to use their own if you said, I want to use this one. Another thing is they don't have to be embalmed by federal law. They can just stay cool until, you, until burial. So there's a couple ways you can really save a lot of money. The coffin's usually big, big bucks. And um, yeah, you could, I mean, they even sell um, real sturdy cardboard coffins that are biodegradable. And initially they weren't using, you know, when they buried people Biblically, they weren't using coffins, as far as I know. I mean, they were just burying them in the ground. Yeah, just wrapped yeah. them. Right, yeah, they wrapped them. In. That's right, they wrapped them. So, um, anyway, you can get around that and demand that they be, that you go that route, and, and probably even cheaper than cremation. So, cost shouldn't be, cost shouldn't be an issue. Um, anyway, I, you know, I like to work with wood. You know, that's why I told my wife I was going to, make a coffin for myself. She said, no, no, don't. <laughs> so anyway, maybe I'll sneak it down in the basement somewhere. I can't see it. <laughs> Phil, <clears throat> I, I have had more here in Gillette where people built their own coffin, ranchers, um, built their own coffin and buried their, whoever it was, their loved one, daughter, spouse, on the ranch and uh you know you just we had a i've done that a fair number of times um you just have a graveside service after a funeral someplace but um you know that's kind of back to when the homesteaders you know that i mean that's um i've done a surprising number of those since i moved here to gillette 20 nearly 25 years ago mm -hmm. i think the I think the law in uh, Wyoming is if you ha if you own a hundred acres or more, you can uh, legally uh, bury your your loved one on your property. All you need is a hundred acres, um, and it's legal. And what what were you telling me about the we were talking about this thing they're doing with bodies now, oh. human bodies? <clears throat> yeah, I just read this article today. Some of you may have seen it. Uh, but on composting, you 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 read that, Mac? It, it's it, it's just sick, <laughs> frankly. But um, <clears throat> it's well, the article I read, I think it was somebody who was out in Oregon, which makes total sense. But um, it's taking place all over the place. There, they explained it, and I may not have it completely accurately um, recalled but they take a person's body and they have a large like a pottery jar you know but it's a big body sized jar they put the body in there and they put you know grass and tree limbs and you know different stuff <clears throat> and apparently they they let the body decompose somewhat and then they empty out maybe they break that pottery urn or whatever and they you bury the decomposed body which supposedly has returned to earth they say and then you bury the body and you can bury it any place you want. Um, and then you plant trees over it, uh, plant flowers. Um, you can also <clears throat> put, 
plant um, or bury a person, they suggest, this was out in the Pacific Northwest at least, bury it near a stream where salmon return to spawn every four years. And so as the salmon swim upstream to spawn, there's trees shadowing over the creek or the little stream that are growing off of the decaying body of your loved one and it'll make you feel real good that they are restoring some of the damage that mankind has done to the environment. And so it kind of makes up for, um, you know, what, <clears throat> it's Mother Earth stuff. But it's just, I mean, that's like when you used to, when they went to that craze where you had compost pile in the back of your yard and you dump grass clippings and eggshells and garbage and, I mean, it's, it's just kind of sick, but anyway, that's right. that's the new latest thing. Yeah, God's God's saying it's an abomination. I'm sure. I'm, you know, those people must be sitting to come up with that kind of those kind of ideas. They must be sit, just sitting around smoking the wacky weed all the time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Anyway, it's it's a, it's a fallen world. So anyway, grief. Grief is always something you've got to touch on because, um, and we've got the grief here, I think, which is great that we have that because it's, it's a tough thing to get through for, for anyone that's close to someone who's died. It's uh, like you've got a lot of love and nowhere to land. It's, um, you know, a heartfelt connection is broken and there's always going to be a scar there. Even when that heals up, even when that wound heals up, there's always going to be a scar. But what I always like to think of is in the Beatitudes, the one Beatitude is, um, blessed are the, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is God's plan. He's always got a perfect plan through all of this. Um, those are some of the major things I wanted to talk about. <laughs> Maybe a question that I... Questions any, about anything that I've talked about or that I didn't talk about that you want to talk about with death and dying? <clears throat> Maybe, Phil, a thought I've had. Oh, did somebody... Okay. Um, I think I'm right, but you can correct me if, if you're of a different opinion. I look at... Um, a lot of the advances, if you want to call them, in medicine, discovery of new, even discovery of penicillin, you know, just things over the years. In general, I look at those as um, usually it's a, maybe it's um, a chemical that's found in nature anyway, that God put there. And I look at it as it's, a, and it's an advance, and it's, I credit it to God. I mean, the God's helped us discover some things and so forth. But we, at the same time, a lot of advances aren't advances. And they're actually sinister. Right. Um, how do you, for instance, there are advances, we call them, um, that extend life and maybe intervene in maintaining life until the person and helps the person regain their health and go home and live. We look at that as an advance, but there are plenty of times when that is abused. How do you as a physician advise a family this is a case we can, you know, put them on life support, put them on a ventilator or whatever. It seems that it's also harder to take people off of those kinds of things than it is to initially put them on. Um, right. Do you have to just go by case by case basis? Um, 
Yeah, yeah, you, you do have to go case by case, and um, that's uh, because those questions are so difficult when they get on a machine, that's why they've developed ethics committees in hospitals, um, you know, to try to make, help make that decision. Um, but uh, I, it, would, it was very rare when I ever put anybody on life support like that. You know, if they had a temporary pneumonia, I know I could take care of, but certainly if they had metastatic cancer and, you know, they were going to get better. I mean, I never offered any of that, even a feeding tube, because it's not quality of life. And those are some of the things that are very gut-wrenching for families. You know, when uh, they, they're not eating anymore, they're dying, and can't we give them, put a feeding tube down? You know, you have somebody think, can't we put a feed? No, no, we can't, because the way God has developed everything, when you're fasting, I don't know if any of you have fasted for long periods of time. We know Jesus did for 40 days, right? And we know Moses did for 40 days when he was up on the mountain. But you can feel euphoric. That means, whoa, I feel good. Because you do, because that's the way um, God has made us. And um, there's certain chemicals he can put in the brain, all kinds of things that happen automatically when we fast. Okay. So he, and we shut things off, et cetera, et cetera. But God developed that whole plan. So when you, in fact, when you hydrate a dying person, they're, um, and I'm, this is about endorphins, and Charity probably heard me talk about endorphins the other day, I don't know. But anyway, endorphins do different things. They go up, they go up when they eat, but if, if they can actually, just pure hydration, uh, they go down. So if you hydrate a dying patient who's in pain and give them an IV fluid, they're gonna have more pain. There's something about pain, our endorphin levels go up. That's natural morphine. Endogenous morphine goes up when we're in pain. So, uh, and when we're dehydrated, they go up even more. Hydrate them, natural morphine goes down. So if you're on the desert, you're gonna do a lot better. If your endorphin levels are going up, you're gonna feel a lot more comfortable. And pregnant women, their endorphins, phew, they can go up eight times normal because their, their body has to go through so many changes. This is all God's, how God did it. I mean, it's amazing. So, no, we're not going to give them IV fluids because they'll feel better, and you have to explain that to families when they're dying. No, we're not going to put a feeding tube down. It's not going to really help them. They're going to actually, they're not going to feel euphoric. They'll probably feel worse because you're hydrating them too. So, anyway, we don't understand everything about those chemicals, but we know that God's got a perfect plan. And uh, it's hard to convince a few families, most families understand and believe you, you know, when you're trying to, to do what's best for the patient. Um, but anyway, when you take somebody off or on, once again, it's some, I would do it for some temporary, like they had bad pneumonia, and you know, the longer they're on antibiotics, they can get off the machine. Because uh, ventilators are not kind to people. Even with the COVID e epidemic, they found out they put people on ventilators, they did worse than if they could keep them off ventilators. It's a, it's a huge positive pressure on the lungs that, that isn't natural. And you can, if you leave somebody on, on, a, on a ventilator too long, they really get lung damage. So, um, yeah, and so when to pull the plug. You have to talk to the patient. I think my patients, when they get worse with cancer, when it was, of course, when it was getting better, all the glory to God, and even when they're getting Worse, all the glory to God, because it's time to talk about heaven. It's a win-win situation, whatever God's plan is. Um, it's perfect, but uh, I know a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of places, a lot of emergency rooms, sometimes they don't even look at the code status. You know, if they do not resuscitate, no, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be put on life support. I don't want to be on a ventilator, but when they come in the emergency room, a lot of times they don't even have a coach. They ask, oh, they're in trouble. Let's put them on a ventilator. And that's where they end up. Protocol. Yeah, it's terrible to try to get them off. Yeah. 
I know when I was in um, in, in St. George, Utah, where I was for um, about uh, 13, 14 years, anyway, we had a, a program there where you could, uh, if you didn't want to be DNR, you wore a bracelet. You could come in, do an application, and wear a bracelet that was stayed on there. You know, you go swimming with it, you do all kinds of things with it, but it would be a, a white bracelet, do not resuscitate. And so some people really bought into that, and I was in the cancer center, and I had these two little ladies come in one time. They are both like 85, 86 years old. Can we get some of those? I said, what's wrong with it? Nothing, but we want them. <laughs> so, you know, they got them. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you know, it all depends on how you look at it. But um, anyway, yeah, the end of life is very, is very complicated and difficult for a lot of people. But if you believe in Jesus Christ and you believe in what God said about eternal life, it, is, it isn't. It really isn't. You know, it's, it's about the patient. It's not about us. It's about the patient. And it always works out. Yes? Right. Right. Yeah. That can that can actually override, um, even though as long as you understand what she wants at that point in time, you if 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 you had a DNR, um, you know, documented, um, but you knew subsequently how she felt about that point in time, you could the spouse could override that, and I think yeah, I I think most physicians would. Um, you know, respect that. Right. It had a hard time. We had a hard time. I had to get my son in law involved on it. Uh huh. Shut off. Yeah. And that's when she went on the ventilator, you know. Mm hmm. Was on that until maybe a month or close to it, you know. Yeah. She did come through it, you know. Mm hmm. And so, uh, you see, God had you two working on that because He said, not time yet. <laughs> I seriously believe that. When people are fighting the system and everything and someone doesn't die at that time, it's just God working through people because he hasn't chosen that as their time. You know, even, even when the uh, pastor was talking about new treatments and everything, um, you know, helping to make people live longer and all that, it's, I completely believe it's God's grace. Anytime someone comes up with anything, it's God's grace. Because by grace alone, right? Because without God's grace, we're all, I'm an idiot. I know that. I mean, he, his grace is how we get through every day and we learn everything and he, you know, we accomplish anything is God's grace. And so anyway, uh, it's interesting if you look at the history of medicine. I don't know if I mentioned this about my, when I did my medical talk, but the history of medicine uh, the stuff we're doing now, you know, if the last day doesn't come soon, and we, let's say we live another hundred years, I mean, we're, the world's here another hundred years, we may say, look what they were doing, like chemotherapy and radiation, are you kidding me? You know, barbaric. Well, if you look at um, George Washington, so he, he uh, served two terms as President of the United States and died in um, 1799. Well, he became sick, and he wasn't sick that long, but the, the powers that be, the physicians that knew everything then, used what they used then, leeching, mm -hmm. bloodletting. Yeah. So if you look at what they did and how many leeches and how much they were getting, and it's documented, I didn't go back and look at that history, but they, they think that they probably took 40% of his blood within a few days, and he died. Mm -hmm. So he probably didn't die from the, the brief illness he had. 
It was probably from the physicians doing what was, you know, what was the prominent treatment at the time, leaching. And they, they actually brought leeches back a little bit now. They, they, they put leeches sometimes on plastic surgery where there's sutures because they do something so you can't clot and they can heal up perfectly. They do some of that stuff still with leeches, but very little. The next, the next president in history was FDR. So he served four terms. He died in his fourth term. But what happened with him is he had horrible chronic sinusitis. You know, was, his sinuses were always giving him problems. And so he, um, the Surgeon General then, was an ear, nose, and throat physician. He was the Surgeon General. And so he treated FDR um, with the standard treatment back then for sinusitis, cocaine. It was legal. You could, they could prescribe it in the pharmacies then. So he was treating him with cocaine. So... The thing about um, blood pressure back then, they, could, they usually measured blood pressure for surgeries and stuff, they could measure it, but they were just, usually when uh, patients were under anesthesia, which happened in the 40s, this is in the 1940s, um, they, could, they could back off on the anesthesia a little bit, oh, the blood pressure is going down too far. High blood pressure, what did, they didn't even know about it, they didn't even think it was bad. So FDR's blood pressure kept going boop, Boop. So they did measure. He was president. They were taking all the bottles and everything. So he got up to 300 over 150 and had a hemorrhagic stroke and died. That was the, the practice of medicine then. That was, he, the ENT doc was doing the right thing. So I'm sure they'll look on us, once again, 100 years from now, and say, what were they thinking? <laughs> you know, that just shows you... Um, Man, what man knows, science changes. God's word never changes. It's the only thing we can count on. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, there'll be new things and they'll say this is the latest and the greatest, but it probably isn't over time. Tom? Yeah. Uh, but as so, a Christian, you want to think that you know, God's the one who uh, you know, gives life and takes away. But at the same time, you're, you think that you know, it seems like they're going to die, and then you have to go and you know, right. say, I want to believe that they're going to be healed, or be, you know, God's going to take care of them. But then the other, other side of it is, you know, what do you tell them? I mean, right. So, you know, what did, I, what did I do when people were dying? Well, I, I told the truth. And for me personally, when I started my practice in medicine in St. George, Utah, I'd been in training, but when I left my fellowship and went down there and started taking care of patients, God made it clear to me that it was a ministry. And, you know, that's when I really was, that's when I really found Jesus Christ completely. It's when I started in practice and God made it clear to me and I could pray with my patients and everything. So from the get-go, um, through that, transformation. He wanted me to tell the truth, and I told the truth to everybody. I didn't hold back. I would always tell them the truth, but I mentioned earlier when people are dying, it's time to talk about heaven, how wonderful that is. Now, that's difficult when you're trying to talk to a Mormon, because they've got different levels of heaven, but still, you can still talk about heaven, um, and that's what I would do, and, you know, and, and ask them, and ask him what else I could do, but I can't, I couldn't change the fact that their loved one was dying. You know, if I could help out in some other way, get some service, get some counseling, I could do that, but it's, all, it's always best to tell the truth in that and everything. I know that's a big deal um, when they're dying, but as soon as you know, um, you know, you need to let them know. But once again, that's the win-win situation because there's, there's heaven 
and you're hoping everybody's a believer, and a lot of people, you know, there's no atheists in the foxholes, and that's true. A lot of people, I think, remember their faith and um, come back into it, and sometimes it takes that crisis in their life, other family members, to actually come back to Jesus. So God uses everything in a different way, and sometimes that's what he's doing. Phil, <clears throat> I've learned, I've, I've, I've been involved in a couple of cases where people, um, I believe completely, were converted after they lost the ability to even respond to us in speaking and so forth. They couldn't maybe answer, maybe they could squeeze your hand or whatever. But um, I've had cases, where I used to think, boy, if I don't get to pray with them and they repent to the bottom of their shoes and tell God what rats they are and all, you know, <clears throat> they didn't make it, you know. Um, I've had, and I don't want to take up your time, but um, a couple cases where um, people were so, I'm thinking of one, was my neighbor boy. And he was so horribly messed up in a motorcycle wreck, blunt trauma to the upper chest and face, slid and hit a guardrail and went underneath it. And um, drunk and with a friend of his who was also drunk, but that his friend was a preacher's kid, okay? And this accident happened a mile from our house out in Oregon. And he was so traumatically injured, I just assumed that he died instantly. And um, to make a long story short, I'd had a visit with him just the day before about getting right with God. He occasionally came to church. And, yeah, he said, you know what, I'll talk to you tonight after I get off work. Well, he got off work and wrecked. <clears throat> well, I found out before the funeral, I just assumed he died instantly. And um, I made it. I used him as an illustration. I was talking to a group of kids. It was fresh in my mind, and I said, this dear kid, I loved him. He's my neighbor kid. He'd been to church. He, he got into a, he had a wild party, and the cops came, and I you know, tried to talk to him the night before. And he, we kind of made an appointment. We'll talk the next day about getting right with God, straightening up. Well, he gets in this wreck, and I assumed he instantly died. Um, and so did the funeral home director, because he talked to me and he said he was so damaged, he said there's no way in the world that he, I mean he was killed instantly, but he wasn't. The kid who was on a bike behind him, drunk, went up to him as soon as he crashed and he talked and this kid who knew the truth, because his dad was a preacher even though he was not living it, he, he said, I held his hand and we prayed. And here's how I know that that kid in that brief, terribly short time prayed is because two or three days before the funeral, I hadn't heard that story yet. I told my youth group about, you better be ready, because I told the story about Keith. They didn't know him well, but I told the story and I said, and he went out into eternity lost. I've never, that was 35 years ago. I can't tell you how clear to this day I remember how I, it was just like somebody went like that to me. It was God. Yeah. When I said, he's lost. And it was just like, 
And I thought, what in the world? I felt checked. And it wasn't until a day or so later that talking to the kid that was with him, I realized why when I said he was lost, I was sure he was in hell, that God checked me so clearly. And then that kid told me, he says, no, he didn't die instantly. I held his hand and we prayed. Wow. I've never been so, so it, impressed with the mercy of God right up to the last second. It just goes to show you that how powerful prayer is. Yeah. Prayer is a powerful weapon that we don't even use enough. A lot of people that, that don't believe would have gone up to the accident and they would have been yeah. thinking chaotically, <clears throat> what can I do? But that young man... Even in his he, condition. He had, yeah. yeah, but the, the boy that went up to him yeah. had the truth. Yeah. And he could use the weapon of prayer. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's that one more shorter one. Had a, two brothers in my church in Oregon, their families, and their mother was like a, she was a champion alcoholic of the whole state of Oregon. She would come to church 8.30 once, you know, not very often she'd come to church, but they'd talk her into coming to church, and she'd come She'd come at 8.30 in the morning on a Sunday, drunker than a hoot owl at 8.30 in the morning. Um, I mean, she was unbelievable. And I just figured, oh, I don't know if Bonnie will ever get right. Prayed for her for I don't know how many years. Never minded God, wouldn't, you know. And she had a massive stroke. She's up in St or Emmanuel Hospital in Portland. Tom, one of the, her sons, calls me. I go up there, and she lost all speech. Couldn't talk, anything. Um, I could tell she could hear and think, but she couldn't talk. And so I said, Bonnie, listen, you better get right with God. And I said, here's what I'm going to do. I said, I know you can't talk, and she couldn't. I'm going to hold your hand, and if you can squeeze my hand, I'm going to say a sentence of a prayer, and then you squeeze my hand if that's, you agree with that sentence. So I started out, I, and I thought, Lord, i got to pray a hard prayer. So I just said <clears throat> for her, Dear Lord, I am a terrible sinner. She said every word. She couldn't speak. She said every single word. Every The next sentence, she repeated it. Next sentence, she repeated it. And got to where, and I believe you to forgive me and come into my heart. She said it. Lapsed back into no ability to speak at all. No, I believe it. Oh, I tell you what. I believe it. You know, God's talking to us all the time. Absolutely. That's dramatic, but he's talking to us yeah. all the time. Yeah. Uh, all day, things yeah. are going on. Yeah, it's that's, amazing that's, what it's amazing what he does, what he what we're going to find out at judgment. People that made it yeah. that were I mean seconds from eternity, God was still talking to them. Well, I, I dealt a lot with uh dementia when I was at the Legacy, you know, the medical director oh, yeah. at the Legacy. And I, I prayed with all my patients, but uh, even with the ones that were severely demented, there's different stages of dementia, but severely demented, uh, people that would be uh, walking around if they could or in a wheelchair and they wouldn't be focusing on your eyes and they'd be, you know, they'd be somewhere else, totally removed. Um, I would pray with, and so it didn't happen with everyone, but I would pray with some of them. And these people that didn't focus or they weren't connected at all would suddenly look at me <laughs> right in my eyes, straight ahead and say, thank you. Mm -hmm. I know that was mm -hmm. the same kind of a thing, but it, these were demented patients. And then back into their dementia, not communicating at all, you know, mm -hmm. just so um, God has, he's everywhere. He's in and through everything and holds everything together. I'm convinced and makes those things happen. So um, 
Yeah, people, uh, you know, the spirit can connect any of us, yeah. anytime. It is amazing. So, any other questions? It's exactly eight o'clock. Is it? Okay. Yeah. <coughs> well. Thanks for carrying me with that with extra commentary. I needed it. I was, I was kind of short with things. Well, but that's you're fine. Anyway. So, oh, so it's, it's all right to be cremated. What did you say? It's still a personal decision. Yeah. Yeah, to be to be cremated. I'm not saying it's. I don't think that had anything to do with it. I'm just talking about Christian burial. No, it's not a sin to have somebody cremated. I'm just talking about biblically. He, God never says it's a sin to have someone cremated. All I'm saying is just what you know, just what you see in the Bible. But he didn't. He didn't list that as a sin if you had somebody cremated. That's why I. I almost didn't want to bring that up because I'm sure some of you have had, have had people cremated. But I'm just talking about the history of what we do after death. Yeah, historically, the only case, um, and I haven't read the sat down and read the entire Bible in the last 24 hours to make sure um, <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. But <clears throat> the only thing I refer to, and again, I am what I guess I would use the term agnostic, okay, on on cremation. I, you know. It, it's not, it's like he said, it's not ever listed as a sin or whatever. But historically, the, um, the Jewish people buried. Christians have historically buried. And I think there's, all, there's something about <clears throat> Christians treat the body differently because we believe it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you can get, you know, today to this, in this day, 2023, you can get a charge and arrested and maybe convicted for abuse of a corpse because we look at the body as Christians differently. And so that colors our treatment of the body even when the spirit is gone. And the only place I can think of where God was totally involved was Moses and Moses died no one knows where he's buried and it says not a, no man knows but it says and God buried him himself now that's always touched my heart that God God had a funeral for Moses just father son and Holy Spirit there's no other human being there but he didn't just discard him on the face of the earth and let the the coyotes, you know what I mean? Um, he treated um, that body of Moses um, in a dignified, because that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So anyway, it's historically been Judaism, Judeo-Christian has always been um, burial and then of course um, marking the place where the tomb or the or whatever was marked as a memorial and uh, so you knew where you remembered that person lived on this earth you know um, so personally well, I, I, I'll shut up because I don't want to get irritate people that I don't have to <laughs> okay <clears throat> any any other questions before we go You that's, mean in, that, you're talking about? It's become kind of popular. They have those, and they have, you're talking about special. They have uh, areas where they where they do that too, right? I understood it was allowed here at the cemetery. You just be wrapped in a tarp or blanket or bag or something like that. Oh, even even okay. Oh, you didn't have to be. You know what? I somebody and I I think I talked to Phil when we were visiting about this. 
it seemed like it is a or was in either state or that you have to have a concrete um, um, vault. Vault. I, I think you were talking about Indiana, though. Yeah, maybe. Indiana yeah, I like don't know that. if that's true in Wyoming or not, but a lot of states. I know Oregon was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think more and more cemeteries uh, uh, are going that way because of uh, where they've had the, the great collapse and the hood or the coffin uh, exposed the. Yeah. Head. Oh. But I think more and more uh, cemeteries <clears throat> are requiring it now. And that's about a $5,000 expense. Wow. Well, if you went with uh, what Max said, just wrap them up and bury them, then you're not going to have that because you're not going to have a coffin caving in. It's going to have a body there. So. The coffin caves in on a second shovel of dirt anyway. That's the dirty secret. They're built like tin. You're right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think balls log has to require where there's issues with water quality. Surface water. Yeah. Oh. Surface okay. water. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. That yeah. In a flood or whatever, coffins will pop up out of the ground, you know. Yeah. 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 I think there's probably some, I look at a lot of that and think, is this just part of a money, you know, it adds to the bill. But some of the, some of the regulations, I think, have some reason behind them, you know, but. Well, okay, no more questions? I've served, by the way, for people in the congregation, this congregation and everyone I've been in, um, that if they didn't have near relatives, um, you know, I've served as, I guess you'd call it, the power of attorney or whatever, the right to pull the plug. And so I've always reminded them of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, listen, you give big to the, pastor's christmas offering i'm pulling the plug you know <laughs> you get sick <laughs> i'm going to be up there and i'm going to pull the plug um, anyway it's it's interesting then we'll quit um what you said dick about the um no resuscitation my father had everything you need it was registered with the hospital in oregon where he i was here and um, his doctor knew it, everybody knew it. His doctor called me and said he's had a stroke and I'm gonna head, I, told, I said, well, I'll get a plane and head out there. But he said, he's lost his ability to swallow. He said, now we can go ahead and put in a feeding tube. He had, he had all the legal documents that he didn't want any of that. But by the doctor just almost casually saying to me, we can go ahead and do that. It meant it wasn't worth the papers written on. And if I wanted to overrule the whole thing, I could have. And I didn't. I said, no, we, we don't want that. Uh, but so sometimes even when you think you've got it legal, everything tied up, it isn't. Anything else? Yeah. You got many more brilliant things to say? or No, I didn't have any brilliant <laughs> things to say in the first place. No, listen, <laughs> I appreciate it very much. It's a privilege to have... Dr. McMahill, Dave Beck, um, helping us with some of these things that um, just give us better insight. Yeah. I thought I'd have to say, you know, no more important than living than dying is living. When Jesus said, "Greater love hath no man than this, the one lay down his life for his friends," you know, and every day was written in his book before one of our steps came. To yep. And you know that the day you're born, God knows the day you're going to die. Yeah. I was I I mentioned to Phil the other day. John Wesley frequently wrote in his journal and he was mobbed often, he was thrown off of bridges into the river and all kinds of stuff. He would write in his journal, I am immortal until God's through with me. So Okay. Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that we have light and we have your word plus we have the 
Holy Spirit who's faithful to us to guide us and prompt us to lead us in the right path. And we're just grateful, Lord, that we have the truth. The world is, like Jesus said, groping in the dark, and they don't even know what they're stumbling over. I thank you, Lord, that we have light. And even in the shadow of death, we can rejoice because we know heaven is just through that veil. So I pray that you would encourage our hearts with that. Dismiss us, we pray, with your presence as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate it. You're welcome. You are dismissed. <laughs>